and excited about being in your presence. Speak to us today, Father, from your word that you may be glorified, that your people will be encouraged and blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to turn with me once again to the gospel according to St. Matthew, beginning with verse 13. And I will be reading from the New King James Version, which reads, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I want to preach today with the help of the Holy Spirit, and I solicit your prayers from the subject, Living Godly in a Godless World. Living Godly in a Godless World. That's what the church is called by Christ to do, to live godly. In a godless world, in a world that has turned its back on the true and the living God. Now, it doesn't take rocket science, nor does it take you and I having graduated at the top of our class to figure out that we are living in a chaotic, perverted world. A world where character traits like respect and decency, which were once commonplace, have become the exception rather than the rule. Yet it was into this type of world, into this type of environment, where the words of Jesus met and confronted and convicted and challenged his real disciples to stand up and be salt and light in a dismal, distorted, and decadent world. Notice the words of Jesus in the text. And as we read these words, as as you think about these words, I want you to do something this morning. I want you to imagine the seriousness with which Jesus spoke the words of our text today. Envision him intently and intensified look on his face. Think about how he must have pierced the souls of the disciples with his eyes as he spoke the words of Matthew 5 13 to them. You are the salt of the earth. Think about the intensity in which he said that. But if the salt loses its flavor, how then shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing to be, but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot of men. Now, in order for us to gain a better understanding or a deeper understanding of the analogy Jesus makes between salt and light and discipleship, it's helpful to examine the usages of salt in the ancient world. First, salt was used in the ancient world 
pretty much like it is today as a flavorizer. People use salt to flavorize food. That's the reason why in today's society, in 21st century society, when you go out to restaurants and you, you, you go out to eat, you see people reaching for the salt shaker. Have you witnessed that? Even before one bite of food is taken, I've observed people grab the salt shaker and go to shaking. Before they even take one bite of food. That's because people like, people enjoy flavorized food. The truth of the matter is, bland and tasteless food is simply not desirable. And and I I thought about this. I, I thought about, you know, what makes meat taste so good? Basically, when you think about it, it's the seasoning. It's the salt. If you eat chicken without seasoning or salt or barbecue salt, whatever you want to put on, it's pretty bland, isn't it? If you eat a piece of beef or a piece of steak or whatever the case may be, think about it without salt on it, without seasoning, it's pretty bland. In fact, I've had people say to me during my course of uh, ministry, uh, say to me with great disappointment, Pastor, I went to the doctor, and the doctor has put me on a bland diet. And now, I have yet to have one person say to me, Pastor, I went to the doctor. The doctor put me on a bland diet, and I can't wait to get started. (laughs) I've had people complain when I go to hospital visitation. You know, well, how's your lunch? Well, it's not very good. It doesn't have very much seasoning in it. That's because people love seasoned food. So Jesus uses this analogy. He points out in verse 13 of the text that the world in which his disciples lived was on a bland and tasteless diet. Bland or tasteless in the sense that the sweet smelling aroma of God's holiness and the enticing taste of God's righteousness, and the alluring savor of God's goodness, and the attractive pleasure of God's flavor were noticeably absent from the table of everyday living. So the people were existing on a very bland diet. Uh, For example, the Pharisees and the Scribes served up bland and tasteless dishes of rules and regulation and legalism that was too burdensome from the people. In fact, they served it up, but they couldn't even taste it themselves. The Roman government served up dishes of fear and manipulation and the abuse of power. The pagan community served up dishes of unbridled sin. Paul talked about that with the Corinthians. In in fact, the Corinthians, the very name Corinth conjures up sin, unbridled sin. They they served up dishes of sin and grief and shame and aggravation. So Jesus said to his disciples who were living godly lives in a godless world he says to them in essence listen get out there get out there and flavorize a desperate dysfunctional despairing people 
with the good news of my gospel. Challenge them as David wrote in Psalm 34 and 8 to all taste and see that the Lord is good. Tell them to taste and see that the Lord is good. The challenging instructions Jesus gave to those Christ followers back in the first century who were living godly lives in a godly society are applicable to Christ followers today in that we are living in a world that desperately needs to be seasoned with the salt of God's holiness and God's righteousness. A world where hatred, a world where violence, a world where greed, a world where lust, a world where anger, a world where bitterness, a world where lawlessness and injustice and the lack have become common fare, served up on tables in our communities, in our society, and in our world. It's common fare now to have things served up like murders. It's common fare to have things served up like greed and lust. It's common fare. Thus the words of Jesus in the text scream down the corridors of time for more than 2,000 years, confronting, convicting, and challenging those who are real in relationship to Jesus, those who have been born again, those who have had their robes washed in the blood of the Lamb, those who have placed their faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross, to rise up and be the salt of the earth. Now game players, people who just go to church with no conviction, this is not for them. This is for those who really know Jesus, who have really placed their trust in Jesus Christ. This challenge is for us to rise up and be salt of the earth. So it is. If you go to school with people, if you work with people, or even if you live with people who are hard-hearted, hard-headed, obstinate, and downright rebellious against God, Jesus challenges us in the text to do your part and be salt for him. Season them with the salt of God's love. Season them with the salt of God's joy. Season them with the salt of God's patience. Season them with the salt of God's kindness. Season them with the salt of God's gentleness, his goodness, and self-control. And even if they hate you, even if they ridicule you, even if they falsely accuse you, even if they persecute you, even if they reject you and don't want you around, keep on sharing Jesus. Why? Because you are the salt of the earth. You have been charged with the responsibility of spreading the essence of who Jesus is. You have been anointed as God's child and appointed as God's child to share the gospel with a wicked, depraved, desolate, and dangerous world. That's what godly living in a godless world is all about. It's about us who know Jesus being salt 
to those who don't. Footnote. Jesus said, but if the salt loses its flavor, the only thing it will be fit for is to be trampled under feet, foot, underfoot by men. The reality set forth in Jesus' words is simply this. If we as individuals or as a church family lose our testimony, the community, the society, and the world we aim to impact with the gospel of Jesus Christ will run over us as though we don't even exist. Truth be told, Salt substitutes won't work in the real arena of Christianity. In fact, I don't know about you, but I don't even like salt substitutes. Have you ever tried it? A salt substitute is terrible. It's, in fact, I don't even want salt substitutes in my cabinet. Jesus points out in verse 13, that if it ain't the real deal, don't bring it. That's what he said. If it ain't the real deal, don't bring it. If it's faking it, try to make it, don't bring it. If it's fronting, if it's frivolous, if it's fraudulent, don't bring it because people will recognize it and they will run right over it. But not only was salt used in ancient ancient days as seasoning, it was used as a preservative. Now back in the day, Elder Trudell, Sister Trudell and others of us here who uh, were of that age group to remember before the days of ice boxes, a lot of our young people don't know what an ice box is, but you can Google it. Before the days of ice boxes and before the days of refrigeration, a lot of our young people can't imagine living without a refrigerator. Before the days of, of freezers, people would do what was known as curing meat. That is, they would treat meat with salt in order to combat the decaying process. And they know how to do it. They knew how to do it. They knew how to do it. They would butcher a hog, uh, and and they they knew how to do it. They knew how to to cure it with that salt, and and it would last for a long time. You could eat off it for for weeks and months. And while the old crowd back in Winsboro, South Carolina, where my grandfolks were from, did not have chemistry and biological degrees. They knew how to butcher a hog and treat it with salt so that the meat would be preserved and kept fresh. So it was with what Jesus said to his disciples, and he still says to us, we as Christians, we as a congregation, we must be different if we want to make a difference 
other words, we, we are peculiar people. We must be different if we want to make, make a difference. We can't be like the world if we want to influence the world for Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. If we want God to use us to preserve his principles and his practices and uphold the name of Jesus with freshness and relevance in the midst of a world that seems more like the wild, wild west, than a civilized society, then we, we need to live godly in a godless world. And there's no substitute. If we want to impact our community, we, we, want, we, 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 want, we need to live godly in a godless world. Third, salt was used to produce thirst. Most of us have heard the old adage that you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Have you heard that? You can't make it. You can lead a horse to what people would say that uh, when they were trying to get people to do stuff and they were stubborn about it and, 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 and pushing back and didn't want to do it. And sometimes you hear, you know, you know, parents would tell children, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Well, while you can't make him drink, you can do something to encourage his thirst. You can play salt tablets, a salt tablet too. In his food. In other words, when when we are born again believers in Jesus Christ, when we live for God in a godless world, when we march to the drumbeat of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, instead of marching to the drumbeat of greed and self-centeredness and jealousy and envy and hatred and bitterness and the like, when we stand for holiness instead of caving into popular opinion, people will want to know our story. They will be thirsty to hear about what makes us tick. They will want to know how we got over. They want to know how we get through. They want to know how we keep it together when those around us are falling apart. People will want to know our story. They will become curious about the source of our joy, curious about the source of our hope, curious about the source source of our, our help, and curious about the source of our strength. That makes them salty. When they see your hope, that makes them salty. When they see your joy, even in the midst of sorrow, that makes them Salty when they see you keep going when everything around you says that you ought to give in, give up, and give out. That makes them salty when they see a smile on your face, when they know that you are going through some stuff. That makes them salty when they see that you have been sick and yet you are still holding on to God's unchanging hand. That makes them salty when they see that you were the most qualified for the promotion and yet you were passed over and gave they gave the promotion to somebody else and they see that you still have joy. That makes them salty. They see you going through the struggle, the storms of life, and still you keep your hand in God's hand. You are still worshiping. You are still doing what God has called you to do. That makes them salty. That's what Jesus is talking about. Live in a way that will make the world salty. Make them want to know what it is that keeps you going. Wayward child, 
You've done all that you can do, but, but yet they still go they on their own way. You keep on praying and hoping and hoping and praying and loving them, and people see that, and that makes them salty. You are the salt of the earth. That makes them salty. They want to know your story. They will become curious about the source of your strength. Then we have an open door to tell them about Jesus. Godly living in a godless world is about speaking for Jesus and living for Jesus to the fullest extent of our being. Now in verse 14, Jesus moved from the salt analogy to the light comparison. Jesus said to his disciples, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on the hill cannot be hidden. Jesus said in John 8 and 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have this light of light, the the light of life. The point is this. Jesus tells his disciples in no uncertain terms that light dispels darkness try it if you want to walk into a darkened room and hit your light switch and the darkness has to go away light a match and the darkness has to go away get in your car on a lonely road and it's pitch dark turn on your headlight and the darkness has to go away in the church Where the light of Jesus Christ shines brightless, darkness has to go away. The point is that light dispels darkness and it helps people find their way. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God lights our way. Therefore, the responsibility of all who live godly lives in a godless world is to make sure that our lives are a good reflection of who Jesus, who is the light, who he really is. Uh, uh, Our lives are to be a good reflection of who Jesus is, who the light of the world really is. When people see us, they ought to see the light of the world so that people stumbling in darkness can find their way home to God. In verse 15, Jesus says, make sure your light is not hidden, but rather on the stand, giving light to all who are in the house. In other words, our relationship with Jesus is not a secret to be kept. We ought to be telling everybody that I am in love with Jesus. Your Christianity ought not be a secret on your job. It ought not be a secret in your home. We ought to let people know that we belong to him. Our relationship with Jesus is not a secret to be kept, but rather when we know Jesus for ourselves, we ought to display it for all to see. Jesus closed out his discord on Saul in light in verse 16 saying, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. Living godly in a godless society, in a godless world, means living for Jesus in such a way 
that if we never had an opportunity to verbalize our witness or talk with a person about Jesus, they would know about him just by how we live. That's what he's saying. Notice he, he said, now, let your light so shine that men may, watch this, see. Do you get the picture? That people may see your good works. Now, there's a lot of talking about Jesus going on. Don't get me wrong, talking about Jesus certainly has its place and its merit and, it, and, and it's something that, that should be done. But living about Jesus has far greater impact on the lives of the lost and the lives of a dying world. That's why Jesus said in verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works you see we can talk about love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and and, and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control all we want to but until the unsaved world sees those attributes in action it's a mute point okay okay let me put it this way i can say to my wife sister pickett that I love you all day. But until I demonstrate that love, it's a mute point. Now, I know what I'm talking about because I've been married almost 39 years. And I keep telling her I can't wait for December because I want to be able to say that I've been married to her for going on 40 years. Yeah. So I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Brother, I'm trying to help you here. I've got to. I can tell her that I love her all I want to, but I've got to treat her like a lady. I've got to show her some love. I've got to buy her some roses. Do you get it? Brothers, you can tell her you love her until the cows come home. But until you put a ring on her finger, until you give her your name, and put her name on your checking account, and put her name on your assets, there is some legitimate room for doubt about your love for her in her mind. Oh, I know I'm right about it. I'm preaching. Now, now I don't want, I, since, you know, since I want to be equal in things, sisters, I, I, you can tell him that you love him and that he's Mr. Right. But until you respect him, until you respect him, it's a mute point. Until you cut ties with your old boyfriends, treat him with respect, give him your, 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 your loving care. Until you do that, your verbal affirmation of your love for him is questionable. So it is on a much higher plane, we can tell people that we love the Lord. We can preach about Jesus. We can sing about Jesus. We can attend worship service. We can attend Bible study. We can be active in church life. We can pay our tithes. We can do all of those things. But until they see our lives, 
in the workplace, until they see our lives in the marketplace, bearing the fruit of redemption, until they see us individually and collectively as a church family, loving Jesus and loving each other in spite of our flops, our flounderings, and our failures. God will not get the glory. So let's get out there. Jesus challenges his disciples and he challenges us. Here's our challenge. Let's get out there and live godly. Live for God in a godless world. Let's put aside petty differences and let's get out there and let the world know, know through lip service and, and, and life service that Jesus lived a sinless life. There was no sin in him. Let's get out there and let them know that he died a sacrificial death on Calvary's cross to pay for your sins and mine from A to Z. No matter what they are, he died to pay our sin debt. Let's get out there and tell the lost and the dying and the godless world that he got up from the dead with all power in his hands. Let's get out there and tell them. With great confidence, unashamedly, unapologetically, let's get out there and tell them that he lives. And because he lives, because he rules, because he reigns, because God is awesome, because God is merciful, because God is gracious. Let's tell them because God is good all the time. Let's tell them that God picked me up when I was down. And the same thing that God did for me, he can do for you. Let's get out there and tell them that we have strength for today. And bright hope for tomorrow because he lives. Let's tell them that because of Jesus, there is hope for Dallas. There is hope for Orlando. There is hope for the Middle East. There is hope for all who call upon his name. God is faithful. Tell them that God is faithful. And no matter what they're going through, if they turn to God, God will take care of you. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, tell them God has provided. Great, great is thy faithfulness. Lord, unto me. Our challenge with all that's going on in the world is not to become bitter, not to become angry, not to become, uh, not to become disillusioned, but keep our hand in God's unchanging hand and tell the world that we have a Savior. God will take care of you.